want us this morning to look at something that uh, we knew was coming. If we've been reading, uh, you read ahead, you knew that this was going to be this sermon this week. Uh, we're going to be looking at the, uh, submitting to God and resisting um, the devil. So let's stand together and let's read out of 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. Submit to God and resist the devil. We read this and it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, we ask now that you would give us wisdom as we look at your word, as we look through your scripture. Father, we've got a formula here for how to defeat those moments when we are attacked by Satan. And it's not by us turning around and telling Satan to run or to flee. No, God, it is by us throwing ourselves, casting ourselves upon you and trusting that you have already done the work. And your protection is there for us through your word and through your son and through your spirit. And Father, we thank you for this. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. The Bible does not say that perhaps you will be attacked by Satan. Uh, The Bible doesn't say that if it happens. Uh, The Bible pretty much says that it's going to happen. And when it happens, this is what you're to do. Now, if you listen to a lot of modern day preachers... You will hear them putting, if you listen to them, you will hear them putting you in danger because they will tell you to turn around and you just deal with Satan like he's already defeated. Folks, let me tell you something. Satan is already defeated. I will give you that. But Christ himself dealt with Satan face to face and he dealt with him with the word of God. And the one way, the one thing that you and I have to understand is that God's word is very, very powerful. And we have to know and know the word of God so that we'll be ready when we are attacked. But there are going to be some things we're going to look at. We're going to look at the words here. We're going to go really word by word instead of verse by verse as we go through this today talking about uh, submitting to God and resisting the devil. There's the formula here, submitting to God. So let's look at this. Let's begin here with be sober-minded. Be sober-minded, self-controlled. All right, uh, of sound mind, uh, not all over the place, to, to have that mind of Christ, to be fixed upon the Father's will, to be fixed upon what God has called you to do. Here's the problem that we have in our modern churches. Who in here is very, very busy? You have a lot of things that you have to do. Anybody just raise your hand real quick if you're super busy. All right, how many of you have taken that busy life and now you've added to it by adding all the extracurricular activities that you could possibly find for your children. Now, all of a sudden, we're even busier than that. We have become extremely busy, and our time with God becomes less and less. And what happens, instead of being sober-minded, a lot of you think, well, that means drunkenness. No, it literally means to have a clear mind, and not just alcohol can mess your mind up. All the activities in the world can mess your mind up. How many of you have ever been so busy that you forgot you had something to do somewhere else and you missed the appointment? Right? It's not just old people. (laughs) I hear it all the time. Old people say, I'm getting forgetful. Listen, we've been forgetful our whole life. 
It has nothing to do with age. It has to do with how much time that we have on our hands. We are so busy. And we, if we don't write every little detail down, we're going to forget something. I recently had a, uh, something uh, planned, and, and, and it was uh, just a great deal for us to, to do as a family. As my, my wife and I got to go and do this. And, and the week before we were to leave, I got the phone call. Now, don't forget, this weekend is the wedding. <laughs> I said, what? They said, yeah, you remember three months ago we talked about this. We've been getting ready for this. And I was like, oh, man. So I spent one day of my so-called vacation on the road doing a wedding and then turning around and coming back. And you know whose fault it was, right? It was Satan. No, no. My mind was so cluttered with so many different things that I forgot to put it on the calendar. I knew it was there. I knew that it was there. No questions asked. I knew that it was coming up, but I had so much stuff going, and my mind was torn in 30,000 different directions, or pulled in 30,000 different directions, and I was not single-minded. Being sober-minded means that your mind is set on the things of God, that you have self-control. How many in here have self-control issues? Be honest. Don't lie. Anybody? Yeah? Okay, good. If your spouse didn't raise their hand, go ahead and do it for them. Um, Self-control issues are, some of y'all were really good, you controlled your hand from going up, but the truth is we all struggle with things, right? We have some self-control issues. There are times when we have that one thing where we just, oh, I I just get angry all of a sudden, or or maybe over here, I've got too much going on, so I I throw everything aside and I become singly focused on the wrong thing because I don't have good self-control. Self-control has to do with your spiritual life. Do you have a quiet time? Do you spend time with God? Do you pray throughout your day? Are you constantly looking for opportunities to share the gospel? That's being sober-minded. That's being self-controlled. That's a being of sound Christian mind, not all over the place, but the mind of Christ. 2 Timothy 1.7, listen to what it says. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Christians should have a sound mind. We should have ourselves where we are trained, where we are good to go, where our mind is under control, our life is self-controlled. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. You've got to pay attention to what's happening in your life. You've got to pay attention to what your eyes see because whatever your eyes see, your mind suddenly is taken over. He says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You have to have that sober mind. You're girding up. You're you're pulling up. They would gird up. They would grab their robes, and they they would be ready to run. And they would gird that up in their hands, and they would begin to run freely. But if they left it down, they didn't pay attention. They would trip, and they would fall. That is the picture here. You better pay attention to what you put before you. You better pay attention to what's in your mind, what you're thinking. Because, folks, if we are thinking on things of the world, we are going to trip and fall in this life. We are to be sober-minded. 1 Peter 5, 6, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. How do I become sober-minded? I humble myself before God. I admit that he is all that matters to me. He is all that I can think about. Folks, when we become that person, God takes care of everything else. One of the things that we try to get our daughter to understand, so important to us, sweetie, we love you, but if you're going to seek a man, you better seek out God first. 
Because Satan is really good at sending you the wrong person. Dressed up really nice, looking really good, making all the right speeches. But in reality, not even close. Not even close to the right person. We need to humble ourselves, seek God first, have a sober mind towards God, the mind of Christ, single-mindedness. If you struggle with your quiet time, you don't have a single mind. You don't have the mind of Christ. If you, if you struggle reading and praying, then you do not have that mind that God has given you. You say, well, I have a hard time understanding. doesn't matter. Stay focused. Train yourself. We talked about this a few weeks ago, training. How many of you can run down without stopping? to the stop sign down here at 359, turn around and come back. And I found out it wasn't very many of us. Us. <laughs> not me. No. Definitely not me. But Noah, you could do it, right? No. Okay. Um, there was a few. Robert, you said you could. You, you could walk it. You could go. So some of y'all have this in your mind that you could run down there and run all the way back training yourself. Part of being sober-minded, being in self-control, is I'm training myself. I'm getting my mind trained on the things of God. The things that I put in front of me on television are the things of God. The things I listen to on the radio are the things of God. And listen, a lot of what we call Christian music today is not actually Christian music. Be very careful what you listen to. Be very careful what you put in, 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 into your ears. What goes into your ears, what goes into your eyes clutters the mind. Make sure that your mind is set on the things above. But then we also see this. Be vigilant. Be watchful. Be vigilant, be, be watchful. Listen, when, when a person is hunting, if they're up in the stand, and, and if any of you have ever hunted, you know what I'm talking about. You don't want to take a, if you really want to kill something, you, want, you don't want to take somebody who doesn't know how to be steel, right? You don't want to take somebody who doesn't understand the idea of watching for things, right? Who in here has taken a child or a spouse hunting and you realized, I got to train them or I can't take them anymore? Anybody ever done that? Okay. You, you're, you're pointing at your wife there. Do you like to talk a lot to him? <laughs> typical, typical thing right there. Yeah, been there, done that, got the T-shirt. My wife doesn't hunt with me anymore. Um, she swears it's because of her. I don't want to go anymore. I don't want to kill poor little Bambi. The reason and truth is she just doesn't want to sit and stand that long with me and be bored to tears. That's the real truth. But when you're going out and you're watching, you're vigilant, you're watching, you're watching for every little thing to move, you're looking, you're seeing. And a lot of times, if you're not careful, you'll actually miss a great opportunity because you didn't see it. You weren't being watchful. You weren't being vigilant. The same idea here. You have to be watchful because the devil is constantly on the attack. How many of you have ever kind of gotten relaxed and found out that when once you're relaxed, that's when the devil can do his best work? Once you kind of think, man, I can relax, everything is done, I can calm down, and the next thing you know, you have fallen into the trap of Satan. Why? Because you quit watching. You quit paying attention. Brian, you, you have a lot of stuff there in Virginia where you farm and you do stuff. You have to watch that because you've got to know when it's ready, right? But if you're not paying attention, you can lose an entire crop in just a matter of a couple of days, correct? It doesn't take much. You have to be watchful. You have to be mindful. You have to pay attention. You have to be vigilant. Our mindset is we have to see what God is doing. We also have to see what Satan is doing. We have to pay attention. Mark 13, 35 says, Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowning of the rooster, in the morning. 
we understand here that at any moment, Christ could return. Well, listen, you also have to be mindful of this. At any moment, Satan could attack. And I promise you, I give you my word that Satan has already got a plan against you. He doesn't work alone, folks. The demonic forces that are in this earth, that are on this earth, the evil, Satan himself, the prince of this world, this is his home. This is his domain. And he is working against you because you are a believer. You have to be mindful. You have to be watchful. You have to be vigilant, constantly looking around, checking on them. That doesn't mean you have to live in absolute fear. No, you have to pay attention. Remember, Satan, listen to me, is still under the authority of God. Read Job. When God calls for everybody to come, even Satan has to show up. But Satan, in his mind, still believes that he will overthrow God in the end. That's why he wants to overthrow the church now. If he can come in and attack you when you get relaxed, when you get settled, when you quit being vigilant and watchful, he will come in and he can destroy your church just like that. He can destroy your life just like that. Think about how many marriages have been destroyed because a man or a woman wasn't vigilant. They weren't watchful. Satan came in and planted a seed of adultery within their heart, a seed of lust within their heart, or maybe just a a seed of boredom. A lot of people tell me, I'm not in love with my spouse anymore. What happened? I'm just bored. What are you doing to change that? What are you doing to fix that? Folks, Satan works very, very good. Children, listen to me. You young people, Satan puts in your mind that your parents know nothing. And so when we turn into teenagers, if we still think our parents know nothing, now we become defiant, we're rebellious because we don't respect our parents because Satan has convinced us that they just don't understand us. I got news for you. It wasn't that long ago that your parents were your age. It's just the truth. Some of y'all may not like this, but it was just like yesterday when I was 15. I'm 48 now. But I can tell you I remember what it was like at 15. I wanted to drive so bad. I wanted the keys to the car. I couldn't wait to get to go. And I didn't understand why my parents didn't trust me, even though I didn't have my license yet. I had my permit. It's okay if I drive to the store by myself. And when they told me no, my mind said, you're just stupid. You don't trust me. You're right. You don't know what? They were right. They shouldn't have trusted me. When I turned 16 years old, I hadn't had my driver's license very long. I pulled out in front of a person to almost kill myself and almost kill eight other people in the car. Your parents know a whole lot more than you think they do. They are trying to keep you safe. But Satan plants these things in our minds because we're not watchful. We're not paying attention. How many of you ever remember saying this? Well, all my other friends get to do it. Y'all remember that? How many of you young people right now wish you could do everything that your friends do? But your parents are just sticks in the mud. They're no fun. Is that you? You're shaking your head, yeah? I won't tell your mom that you said that, Micah. It's okay. Um, but, um, but in all honesty, it, it's, it's just crazy when we begin to think about these things. You didn't hear that, did you? So you're good. All right. She wasn't paying attention. I'll talk to her husband about that after service. Um, here's reality, though. Here's the truth. Here's where we're at. 
We have things planted in our minds, planted in there. We're not watchful. We're not vigilant. But I promise you, whatever your kid, whatever the, the kids are going through that you think is so much fun, if you're like me and you lose a number of your classmates because their parents didn't have their hand on them, you suddenly look back and realize in life, man, my parents did care enough to say no to me. Don't let Satan come in and split you from your parents. He is good at this. You need to be watchful, mindful. And when you begin to loathe your parents, Satan has a hold of your heart. Be very careful. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 says, Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Constantly on the watch. Constantly looking around. Seeing what is God doing. Paying attention to what Satan is doing. A lot of our pastors right now have, have gotten so uh, fixed on social issues that they have forgotten to preach the Bible. Can I tell you what will fix social issues? Can I tell you what will fix the divide in our nation? Jesus Christ will. And preaching the gospel, not a social gospel, but the gospel will fix it. And folks, if you're sitting here thinking that I'm talking about a certain color of church, no, sir, I'm telling you it's every church in America right now because it's the hot-button issue. So they're all going to adopt this social gospel when the social gospel is straight to hell because it talks about us doing good things. You and I will never do enough good things to erase the bad things we've done. Therefore, the gospel is what frees both the slave and the slave owner. We should all be free because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to be vigilant, be watchful. Don't allow the things of this world, the hot-button topics of, 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 of our world today, don't let that become what you think about all the time. Think about the gospel. Have that single-mindedness on Christ, that sound mind, not all over the place, but the mind of Christ. Be vigilant, be watchful. Because, why? Your adversary, your accuser, your slanderer, the one who comes before God and says, don't you know how sorry Tom Dobbs is? Don't you know what he was doing? Do you not know what he was thinking just before he got up to preach that sermon? Do you not know who he was talking about when he was preaching that sermon? Oh, Tom is a, is a horrible man. He doesn't deserve the pulpit. He doesn't deserve to be there. And he's just constantly that slanderer, that accuser. Satan, or the devil, Diablos, the slanderer, is described as the prince of this world. His residence is on the earth, and he moves from place to place because this earth is the devil's territory. Believers are constantly under attack. He will slander you and convince you that you are too dirty, too guilty to be used of God. Is that not how he works? You're not good enough. You'll never make it. Look at how bad your life is. Why do you even go to church? Why do you even claim to be a Christian? How could God love you? Constantly telling how bad we are. You ever had that whisper in your ear, you're never going to make it? You're just not good enough? Why would God want to send his son to die for you? Can I tell you something? Satan is really good at convincing us. Depression, depression comes from a satanic attack probably 95% of the time. I'm not going to sit here and argue about clinical things. I understand there are some people, their, their makeup of their mind, their body, that's all due to sin from throughout the years. Our bodies have changed and things are crazy, things are weird. Medication helps some people. I'm not against that. So nobody come walk out of here going, well, he doesn't want me to take my medicine. Listen, if your spouse tells you you need to take your medicine, you probably need to take your medicine, Okay. 
But a lot of what's wrong with us in life is spiritual battles. Spiritual battles. Satan can depress us, worry us. How many of you in here have ever ground your teeth to the point that you, you, just, you just hurt all the time? Folks, I'm telling you, I don't go to bed at night without hearing accusations. I wish I could tell you that I'm free of all those things. No, Satan is very, as a pastor, he wants more than anything to see me fail and fall so that the rest of the church will follow. I, I, I struggle still to this day with hard things in life. I struggle with the attacks, with the accusations. I constantly hear them. You didn't handle that situation right. Well, I guarantee if so-and-so was the pastor here, he would have handled that situation right. I hear it all the time. It is a constant battle in my ears. Satan accusing me, slandering me, telling me you're just not going to make it. How good is Satan at slandering you? How good is he at accusing you? I imagine he's pretty good. He's a professional. He's been studying you since the day you were born. You ever thought about that? He has been studying you since the day you were born. He knows your habits. He knows your wants, your likes and your dislikes. He knows your weak points. Anybody in here know your weak points? Be honest. How many of you know in this area of my life I struggle, right? Let me tell you something. Satan knows that too. And when we finally think we've got it figured out, what does Satan do? We quit watching. What does Satan do? He somehow brings that thing back in our life. It's like a drug addict who's been freed for 10 years. Everything's going great. Everything is great. One day he loses his job. He comes home and as he and his wife have an argument. He knows he needs to turn to God, but what does he do? Ten years down the road, hadn't touched the stuff in ten years. Hadn't even thought about it hardly in ten years. And then what happens? What happens? Satan does his best work. And what the church does at this point is is with people like this, we look at them, well, we knew that was coming. Yeah, you know why you knew it was coming? Because you've been there too. What you forgot, though, is to go back and restore the one who has messed up. Satan does his work, then the church has to come in and help clean up. We have to come in and help that person, come in and strengthen that person. That's our job. You say, well, I get tired of doing it. doesn't matter how many times has God done it for you, where you've messed up and God's come in and said, I know you listen to the devil, but you're still mine. Isn't it good to know that God does that for us? Our adversary, our accuser. I want you to think about this. In Zechariah chapter 3, we're going to read an account. With Joshua the high priest, God has delivered them from the hand of the enemy. Most of the priests have died. This is the first move back in towards Jerusalem. It's time to kind of start cleaning things up. And God brings them before him, and Satan comes as well at the right hand as the accuser. All right? So Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1 through 5 says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. Now this is the angel of the Lord. All right? This is God. This is Christ. This is the picture here. All right, his residence, uh, or excuse me, uh, the angel of the Lord and, and Satan. So there's two people here. It's Christ or Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. 
is this not a brand plucked from the fire? He is looking at Satan. He's saying, listen, I rebuke you. Now and in the future and forever, you are rebuked. You have come before me to slander this one who I have chosen. Joshua here represents the entire nation. He represents the entire people uh, of God's people. And he says, listen, you have come to accuse them. You have come to tell me all that you have done in their life. And God is saying, I already know what you did. And I'm telling you, Satan, that you could bring the accusation, but I am done with you. The accusation comes, it's here, it's very serious, it's, it's, it's one that he is t- trying to say, look at all the things they've done. And God says, I have plucked them, this is not a brand plucked from, is this not a brand plucked from the fire? God says, I have chosen them, I have saved them, I have brought them out of destruction. Verse 3 says, now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Now, listen to me, our righteousness is as filthy rags, our sin is what we're clothed in when we're in the world. That's our filthy garments. So everything about us is nasty. And Satan is saying, listen, I have brought him as he looks. Look at your people. They're disgusting. They're sick. They're vile. They've turned their back on you. They've refused your grace. They refused your goodness. They don't want anything to do. Look at their works. They're horrible. They all ran from you. They've turned from you. And he starts, I'm sure, reminding God of all the times that Israel had turned their back on God, how many times they had turned their back on their leaders. Don't you remember how they killed your prophets? Don't you remember how they killed your priests? You know how they've been. They've been horrible people. And these are the filth garments. But it says that he was standing before the angel. Let me tell you something. If Satan's right here, you want to be standing before Christ. If Satan is accusing you, you want to be standing before Christ. The best place for you when you're under attack is before Christ. Fall on your knees. A lot of the reason that we stay in sin, that we stay in, in tough times, is because we are not spending the right time with the Lord. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he, then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. First, you may tell you how we come before God? Filthy, dirty, nasty. You know what Christ did? Christ said, No, no, no. I am paying for all of this. All of your filth, all of your vileness, all of your lostness, all of your hopelessness paid for. Take those filthy garments off. Did did Joshua do anything here? No, God declared him clean. Christ declared him clean. Christ said, I have done the work. It is going to be finished. I am going to take care of this. You take these nasty clothes off. I don't want to remember your sin any longer. And I'm going to put new clothes on you. I'm going to put beautiful clothing on you. He says, take away the filthy garments from him. And to him, he said, see, I have removed your iniquity from you. I will clothe you with rich robes. God has come in through Christ Jesus for us today in this church at Pine Island. And he has said, listen, if you will trust me, if you will trust my son, that the the job that he did taking on your sin and your wrath, if you will trust that, I will take this filthiness from you. Wouldn't it be beautiful not to have to listen to Satan any longer? Satan, the accuser, you know what you did. And Christ is saying, I paid for that. I paid for that. 
And they remove the dirty, vile clothes from us. And they put on new garments. Clean garments. Verse 5 says, And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. That turban. The thing that goes on the head. The thing that had meaning. The turban part of the high priest's dress was inscribed with the words, holiness to the Lord. Folks, you and I can't have that unless God puts it on us. Satan's going to whisper, you shouldn't wear that. You can't put that on. You're not holy. And God says, my son covers him. My son covers him. Zacharias joined the scene calling for this because it strongly symbolized that Israel's priestly place with God was restored. Can you imagine after all the vileness, after everything that had done? Think about this. Adam, perfect relationship with God. Adam chooses to sin. He falls into sin. Cain, not very far into the future from Adam's beginning, we have Cain and he kills his brother Abel. Then we have Noah and the flood and things are starting over. And then right after that, we see sin back again. As sin comes into the world again, then we see a split, the Tower of Babel. After the Tower of Babel, the world scattered across and the world begins to fill. And as we know, it becomes a vile place. By the way, that's where we're living today in a very vile place. God chooses his people. Through Abraham, his people fall into sin. They get into slavery in Egypt. God goes in and gets his people out of Egypt with Moses, and the people don't like the leadership of Moses, so they begin to rebel. Yet God brought them out anyway, protects them. Cloud by day, fire by night. The people rebel. They rebel, they rebel. Have you ever noticed the history of Jerusalem? Israel have you ever noticed that what do they do all the time they just rebel you know it's the history of Christianity as a strong of a, of a believer that Peter was do you remember Peter early on in his life in his, in his early beginning stages of life Peter Peter couldn't handle it he told, he told Christ I'll never leave you what did Peter do just a few days later he left him He left him. God has said, after all these times, you've fallen, you've fallen, you've fallen, you've fallen, you've fallen. And what what does God do? He restores his people. Because that's the kind of God we serve. I don't care how many times you have messed up. I'm telling you, God is able to restore you. So what do we have? We have this roaring with accusation, loud, scary. The idea is of a beast in fierce hunger. One, one thing that I've watched enough on the Discovery Channel, not that I believe much of what they say on the Discovery Channel, but they've got enough cameras out there, you can see some common sense things. A lot of times when an animal, when a big lion begins to roar, all the little animals will get up and they'll start running. But there's usually that one animal that just wants to sit there, lay there and hide because he's in, in fear of the roar. Well, that's what the lion wanted. And so what the lion is doing is he's roaring, he's being loud, he's ferocious, he sounds bad. And what is happening at that moment 
is he is looking for the weakest link because if he can find the weakest link, he's got an easy meal. That's why we have to be watchful. That's why we have to be single-minded. That's why we have to be a people who understand that our accuser is there, but Christ stands before us. He's roaring. He's looking to destroy you. He's looking to devour you. You know who else is a lion? Christ is also called a lion. One came to conquer sin, and one came to devour you with sin. Folks, I'm telling you, Satan is very real. And he is looking to destroy your life. He is looking to make you fall to the point that you feel that you can no longer serve God. So what are we supposed to do? Well, you're to resist him. You're to resist him, the Bible says. Let me read this again. Resist him steadfast, verse 9, uh, 1 Peter 5. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Listen, you're not the only person under attack. You're not the only person who has made mistakes. You're not the only person who has fallen. Even as a believer, you're not the only person to fail. We're all under attack. We are all struggling in this life. But how do we do this? How do we, how do we make this work? He says, therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What's the first step in resisting the devil? Submitting to God. Submitting to God. Turning everything over to him. Trusting him alone. Throwing yourself. Listen to this. If you do not cast yourself on God, Satan may gain an advantage over you. Be alert and resist him. Firm in your faith. After you have suffered for a little while, God will restore you. But listen, we're all going to suffer. That is why I'm telling you, if as a believer you have never suffered for your faith, then you will have no evidence standing before God that you even belong to him. As a matter of fact, what you will hear from God at that moment is, Depart from me, you worker from iniquity, for you never knew me. I'm telling you, a believer cannot be silent. They have to share the gospel. So again, I'll say the same thing I've said over and over and over again in this pulpit. If you are a believer and been a believer for years and you've never shared the gospel, you're not a believer. How can you be a believer if you've never shared your faith? A believer is sold out to God. A believer is one who fully believes and trusts. And I have had people get up and walk out of this church and never come back because they said, I condemn them to hell. No, I don't condemn you to hell. Your actions condemn you to hell. Your lack of faith condemns you to hell. Your inability to stand up and share the gospel is what condemns you to hell. A believer cannot keep their mouth shut. Can somebody please amen that? Well, that sounded really good. It breaks my heart to know that there are people who claim to be Christians who keep their mouth shut. Folks, if there was a fire coming across right here, right now, and I saw that outside, and I saw that it was coming from every side, and I didn't warn you that there's a fire coming, am I much of a pastor? And yet hell is coming for you. And hell is coming for your family. And hell is coming for your friends. And if you have the ability to keep silent, then you're not much of a family member and you're not much of a friend. I'm telling you, if you're truly sold out and born again, you cannot keep your mouth shut about Jesus Christ. So what do we do? We understand our problem. Our problem is our adversary, Satan, seeks to devour us. Not just make you fall. He wants to devour you. 
But our hope is submitting to God. God, you are my hope, my strength. You're everything that I need. And our payoff is that he will perfect us, establish us, strengthen us, and settle us. Folks, do you not see what's happening here? The very thing you don't think you can get, you get through God. When you submit to him, when you follow his order, when you follow his direction, what you get is perfection, established, strengthened, and settled. And I promise you, most of the people in this room are not settled right now. With all the changes that are happening in our world today right now, very few of us are settled. What do we need? We need to crawl up and throw ourselves in the mercy of God. Not stand up and walk up. No, we've got to crawl up to the throne of God and say, Father, here I am as humbly as I can. I'm desperate for you. I need you. We're at that time in our life, especially for people my age. I'm almost 50. And I'm looking at my life and I'm going, what in the world have I really done? What have I really done? Oh, I've pastored some churches. I've baptized some people. I've seen some people come to faith. But I'm going to tell you the hardest part for a pastor is I've also seen many, many people come in the door and turn around and walk out and never come back. I've watched them get baptized and never darken the door again. What have I really done? What have you really done? What difference have you made in this life? Has Satan convinced you You'll never be able to lead somebody to Christ. Don't lie. Don't let him lie to you. Folks, if you're a believer, share your story. And what is your story? Christ is your story. Share Christ. Share Christ. The world needs Jesus. Not social justice. Jesus. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you have set us apart. We thank you, Father, that there is work to be done. But God, I'm asking and praying and hoping this morning that every single person in this room, that they will understand that if they have truly put their faith in you, that they need to go out. And they need to understand that Christ has made them well. He has clothed them in righteousness. And what they have to do is become single-minded, fixed upon Christ. Quit watching the crud on TV. Quit putting things in their ears they don't need to listen to. And to start staying focused on you. And they need to start sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Satan has convinced us that we're no good. He has convinced us that we are sorry. And if we're to live on our own, he's exactly right. We are no good. We are sorry. But in Christ, we have been made whole. Yes, I fall. But Christ's hands extended to me to get me back up. Lord God, if we're fallen today, we raise our hand to your son. We fall on our knees and we ask him to help us up. We humbly come before him and say, Father, we're under attack and we need you. 
And we trust that your son will lift us up as we humble ourselves. And we confess that we're weak. And we confess that what comes out of our mouth may be vile. What we put in front of our eyes may be no good. What comes into our ears should not be there. God, we want to make a difference. We trust in your son. And Satan, the accuser, will be told, I've had enough of you. And he will be cast away from us at that moment. And we will be in the presence of Almighty God, ready to serve, ready to stand, ready to share. Lord God, change us today. We pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name.